Joining me for a look at the equity scene is Viv Govender from Rand Swiss Offshore. Viv, thanks so much for joining us today. Now, we've had global recession risks return to the table over the past few days. We've also seen those U.S. Treasury yields hit highs and the oil price, you know, nearing that $100 mark. Are these um, something, is this rather something traders should be concerned about? Yes, uh most certainly. I mean, there's a number of factors out there. I think the most important one is the interest rate, uh, you know, uh, path. For the U.S. Fed has held interest rates higher for longer than most people had anticipated. And to get a real idea of how bad it is, if you go back to the start of or middle of next last year, sorry, people were expecting to have sort of restart rate cuts right now, mm-hmm. and we have not finished rate hikes. Uh, so that gives you an idea just how badly the market has predicted uh, the rate cycle for the U.S. Fed. I mean. Uh, and the interest rate cycle, I think, is one of the biggest determiners of what the market's going to be doing. Uh, historically, there's a couple of things that really move markets, uh, and interest rates are just among them. Uh, so, yeah, this, I think, is the, probably the biggest uh, you know, worrying factor right now in the global economy. I mean, Viv, are traders not just getting the, ahead of themselves? The Fed has been quite adamant about that hawkish stance of theirs. So are markets not just generally getting ahead of themselves? Because I don't think at any point they did say that they would cut rates within 2023. Yeah, I mean, yeah you're correct. I mean, the, the Fed has been quite clear that they were not going to do it. It's very unlikely they were going to do it. Uh, but the market, uh, as traders, you usually make money by trying to, you know, outguess what is going to happen. Uh, you, you don't really follow what the Fed is saying exactly. You, you try and basically uh, outthink it effectively, which is quite difficult. I mean, the Fed, uh, if, you, if you think about it, it has, I think, twice as many economics PhDs as any other institution in the world. You know, there's nobody out there, even the biggest banks, the biggest whatever, doesn't have as many, like, you know, uh, forecasts as the Fed does. And the Fed has an unfair advantage because it's the U.S. Fed. It has access to information. That other people just don't have earlier than other people have it uh, and so we are seeing um, that institution basically trying to be second guessed uh, unfortunately you know the market has been a bit too aggressive um, they based this on, on previous things I mean the Fed in the past a few years ago tried to do the same thing raising interest rates and since the downturn the market started to come down it basically reversed stance and basically went back to the whole you know low interest rate cycle um, so yeah I do think the market uh, has anticipated things that the Fed is not going to or has not said it's going to do but, I mean, that's generally been the way to make money over the last few years. Mm. Let's move over to the oil markets. We have the OPEC meeting coming up tomorrow with many analysts expecting the um, oil-producing countries to keep its outlook policy unchanged. What are your expectations from that meeting, Viv? Yeah, look, I mean, the Brent uh, crude price right now is at $91 a barrel. I mean, we were closer to like 95 a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, the uh, pullback that we are seeing uh, is welcome. I mean, especially if you talked about the fact that we see, you know, petrol prices high, etc. But OPEC wants to have these higher prices. You know, obviously Russia is in a bad situation. OPEC plus, of course, includes Russia, not just uh, OPEC. Uh, and then we are looking at, of course, you know, the Saudis, the uh, who have tried to do some, you know, their own little thing recently. Uh, you know, places like Nigeria have had crises and so on. A number of the oil producers out there require higher oil prices at the moment, and I think they want to have prices at least at this level or even higher. Moving over to um, China, we had Evergrande um, resuming trade in Hong Kong. That share shot up after market return. Now, markets seem to be quite excited about this, but surely this counter isn't out the woods just yet. Oh, no, well, certainly. The thing is that if you had to look at a one-year kind of like chart on this thing, 
uh, or even a five-year chart of this thing. I mean, we look at a, at a stock price that's down at the moment, 98% from its highs. You know, uh, even a one-year chart is, is showing basically this thing down, you know, like a quarter from its highs, you know, more than a quarter from its highs. So uh, it's like half down still, even after the rally we've seen recently. Uh, so the market is pretty much pricing, uh, you know, bankruptcy for this company. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and so I do think that it kind of makes sense that we are seeing, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, bounce up here because people are always willing to go bargain hunting for a company like this. Uh, but that being said, I mean, uh, it still is bargain hunting. This is, like I said, 98% down from highs mm-hmm. of just a, like a, a couple of years ago. Uh, and that is something I think that uh, many people out there are thinking is worth a punt, quite frankly. If, if, if this thing, you know, recovers even slightly, you could make a lot of money. But I mean, as we saw things like Swinson Steinoff recently, et cetera, in South Africa, uh, often these bargain hunters are going to get burnt uh, because things that go down for reasons like this uh, don't tend to recover very easily. Now, what is your sentiment around um, everything that's actually happening in China, especially with the property crisis? It's eaten so much into growth on that front. Is Evergrande just too big to fail? Well, the problem with China is China has, you know, grown in a very weird way mm. and has some serious underlying structural issues that they have to solve. Uh, one of the problems is that because of the nature of that economy, it's been very difficult for you to save enough to basically retire. You know, they have the one-child policy, uh, which, though it's ended recently, has really changed the culture. So you've seen far below replacement uh, population uh, levels. So most people don't have the children and grandchildren that historically have taken care of the elderly in China. Uh, you have, uh, you know, property being used by municipalities to finance their operations. Uh, people have been investing in property basically because that's the, their pension effectively. And so like 70% of household wealth was tied up in property in China. Uh, it accounted for 30 plus percent of GDP in China, way bigger than the US had it in the financial, the financial crisis. Uh, and this eventually had to you know, uh, you know, come down a little bit. And so I think that's a structural issue that uh, you know, was gonna come down and I think always had been something that was gonna be a big problem for China. All right, let's get into your stock pick for the day. We have about 30 seconds. Alphabet, um, I've remained a very positive on Alphabet. Alphabet, as people know, it's Google. I think they are the lead in the AI space. And though the AI kind of uh, things have kind of calmed down the last week or so, we saw, uh, you know, developments from GPT-4 that they can now see, uh, which is amazing. Go test the stuff that it does. It's a, it's unbelievable what this is going to do. And Google's going to come up with something in three months' time in December, likely to be four or five times more powerful than that. So I'm still ticking with Google. All right. Thanks so much for joining us today, Viv. That was Viv Govinda from Rand Swiss Offshore.